Yeah, I'm the substitute teacher for the day, okay? That's what I am. Pastor Chris is out today, and, and uh, it is honestly a delight. It's always a delight to be a part of this church. I love this church, and whenever uh, I'm not in ministry somewhere else, I'm always here. And this is the church that I call home. So if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app with you, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at some verses, and we have a title just simply taken out of this, and that is, How Do You Catch the Wind? As you're turning there, I do want to take just a moment. Uh, first of all, let me tell you how the service is going to end, and that is that we are going to, at the end of the message, and yeah, I am not going to preach long, and everybody believes that. Yes, okay, believe that, <laughs> would you? And, uh, but now, at the end of the service, at the end of the message, I should say, we're going to give an opportunity to pray for you who have, who have needs. Uh, there, the Scripture compels us that whenever we have needs, that we do not bear them alone, that we do not try to walk that path in some type of solitude, but that we would allow the privilege of the body to pray and to have joining and linking of faith. It's, it's very simple, the concept there, and that is having just singular faith versus having collective faith. And we're going to give an opportunity for you to come, and yes, it would come to the front, and we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit, to be healed, to whatever the need that you have. The second thing that I want, I just feel compelled about, is that we, we are living in a nation that is very angry and very violent. We have individuals who are suffering greatly within our, our confines of our area, this area, through abuse and neglect, through all types of just violence. We, we're seeing war in different parts of the, of the world, people who are suffering immensely. And sometimes we, because of the busyness of our life, it's not a guilt thing, it's just busyness, that we become forgetful of those who are suffering deeply. And we don't have to go very far. We don't have to. We can go probably just a short distance from this campus and find individuals who are struggling and just trying their best to hold on. But I really want us to pray for a nation that has been consumed. As it says in the last days, and it will be the same as Noah, we are flooded now with violence. Every single day there is a report. And I think we need to intercede for that. I think we need to say, Lord, have mercy. That's the prayer, that's Jesus' prayer. Lord, have mercy. And that we need mercy for our region, for our community, for our families, and we need to pray for that. Will you join with me? And, and I, I, I know they're trying to work on the sound. Please don't let that distract you, would you? Because I don't want you to listen to me voice out this prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me. Would you do that? Father, you are a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could imagine because we try to conceive ideas of how it should be worked out. But in your greatness, in your genius, Beyond the word genius, you're able to do things that we cannot even imagine. Father, we are consumed with violence. We're consumed with violence in our area, in our state, and in our nation. And Father, we are just begging for your mercy. We're begging for the body of Christ to be awakened and see the need within our own area, within arm's reach of this campus, 
of individuals who are suffering deeply and they are suffering in great degrees. And we pray for them, O oh God. But put action to our prayers, O oh Lord. Give us in, in birth within us. Put seeds of, of ingenuity inside of us that we could touch those who are hurting. And then, Father, we could be that cup of cool water to those who are thirsty, that cool rag to those who are feverish with pain and hurt. I pray, Father, for those who are suffering in Ukraine and, Lord, those who are just trying their best to hold, just to hold on to life. Have mercy, O oh God. Have mercy. In the violence, we pray. Bring events and circumstances that will end the violence, we pray. And we pray that for our own nation, O oh Lord, in the violence, in the anger. And we pray that in Christ's name. You are a very good God. And if you agree with that, say amen. Guys, y'all got y'all good? I'm hearing, oh, we're about to turn one off and one on. I think I look better with this anyway. What can I say? Huh? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. That's where the text is, uh, the title's coming from came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this, this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our na native language? Finally, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? I'm sure you've heard stories or maybe you can even relate to the story of a of a mom who has all the kids in the car, they're trying to hurry to their next appointment, which seems to be endless for you ladies and kids. And she piles the kids in the car, puts the kids in the key in the ignition, and nothing, not even a grunt. It will not move an inch. And literally frustrated and a little, little perplexed about what to do, she calls the neighborhood garage and she describes what's going on and says, can you help me out? And the attendant, he says, hold on, let me talk to my boss and goes and puts her on hold and seemed like forever. Finally, he comes back on the line and he says, yep, we can help you out. Just bring it on down. Bring, bring it on down, it won't move an inch, you know? And sometimes with spiritual things, we have the same situation. We get instructions, but we don't get the power to impact our lives with the instructions. We get life principles, but we don't get the means of which that there's a transformation, there's an adjustment in us, and the power to bring about that adjustment. And so we have a tendency to have all of this good advice, but not the power to see the change. Boy, and that's, that's, that's something that we find here in the scriptures. If you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the law is describing of all the things that you can and cannot do. Ten commandments. And then do this 
and you won't get this. If you do that, then you will get this. And so it goes through it. It gives a list of, of items that, of guilt without lifting not one exclamation point of help in trying to overcome that guilt that we feel with the law. But not only that, have you read the Beatitudes lately? Have, have you read the Sermon on the Mountain anytime recently? Have you been able to, to accomplish that on a daily basis? Uh, listen, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> the meek, the inherit the I just want to not get pushed into another lane on the freeway, much less be meek about it. Blessed be merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be children of God. Not in our day and time. Blessed are the vengeful, for they will not be on the news. You know, that kind of stuff, you know. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They, you see that? Do we have the power to bring that about on a daily basis? Or is that just a never now and then drive-by? That we kind of you know pump, bump against it and we go, whoo-hoo. Or is that something that's really part of our lives? Not only that, can you imagine the disciples? The disciples, they saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw him raise at least two people from the dead. Saw him uh, heal those who were lame, able to walk again. He was able to restore blind sight. And then in the midst of all that, he looks over at them and he goes, the same things that I do and even more you will do too. Yeah, right. Right, me? No, no you, obviously you're thinking of somebody else, you know. Because where is that? Where's the reality of the power to bring that about? And then finally, the coup de grace of it all is that they saw him suffer and they saw him die, even though he was raised from the dead. And before his ascension, he says to the disciples, I have a love that I want you to share to the world. The same love that I have, I want you to give to the world. And they immediately put two and two together. They go, we know what your love cost. Are we willing to cause, do that too? So suddenly there is this dilemma that we have. The point is Jesus and the Father knew exactly that without power it is impossible to accomplish these things and to have the life success that he intends for us to have. I'm not talking about some sort of economic gain. I'll be honest with you, I'm getting exhausted with the materialistic mindset of, that the Western church has embraced. I'm talking about the fact that we can have impact in our families, in our situation, our mental health, our experiences that we have in life, but without power. And so what did he say? He says, you need power, and he says it here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the other parts, parts of the world. He's saying, you're going to live out not just the instructions, not just the good advice, not just the principles and the life precepts. He says, you're going to have power to be an example of that life. He says, how's it come about? Not on your own, not in your own ability. He said, listen. The events that happened in Acts 2 made it possible for us to be in this room here. If it wasn't for Acts 2, we would not, we would probably not be here. Because see, the cross is good news about eternal life. The resurrection, 
The resurrection is, is, is great news. The, the empty tomb is great news of life eternal. And you put those two together and it's the redemptive power of Christ to free us from the bondage of sin. But if it wasn't for Acts 2, the gospel would not have been proclaimed around the world like it's been. It's, that's the power. That's the difference. That's the, the dynamic that came into to, to, be a, to, to be a reality. Jesus knew what the disciples needed, and he knew also what we will need in this day and time. We experience pressures and frustrations, and, and we're, we're now, they talk about the amount of, uh, if you want to use a psychological term, the amount of stimuli that we have to process on a daily basis, which is absolutely beyond our ability, our capacities. It's beyond our capacitors to handle, and we're trying to process all this in our own strength, and God says to us quickly, that's not what I intended. That's, that's not what I wanted. What I wanted is for you to have something that is beyond the natural in the area of the supernatural in your life. So what happened? The believers, they were filled with the Spirit. It's found in Acts 2. It's very straightforward, isn't it? Let me read it again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seated. They saw what tongues of fire that separated and came on each of them. These are New Testament believers that were in this room. They understood immediately the imagery that was being presented at that event because they were very clear on the teaching that whenever Moses was in the desert and he came upon a bush that was being that was burning but not consumed and they knew that the righteousness of God was a part of that they knew immediately that this was not something that was not of God but was filled with God and it says all of them filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them the throng of people that were there, the, the crowd that was that had arrived from all, it says, all the nations under heaven, all the nations of that region, and the many languages that were present in that, in that same area, they were gathering. What was going on? It's just like us. We do the same thing when something's happening. We go to see what's taking place, and sure enough, they were gathering. Then, then they realized, wait a minute. These are Galileans. That was, not, that was not a compliment. That was not like, oh, wow, these are the sharp ones. No, these are, it's like, oh, man, they're even Galileans. It says that they were speaking in a language that everyone understood. All of them. They were all amazed by that, perplexed by that. They were in wonderment. What, what is going on? What is happening? What is taking place? And they look at all that, and it's, what, what am I trying to say to you this morning? I'm saying that just as the veil was torn when Jesus died upon the cross, and you were able to enter the Holy of Holies through his provision, now the communication barrier had been broken that was established at the Tower of Babel. And what, what is, it's now open. Because why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power and the reality of that dynamic that was in that room. And so, so as just as much as we have it today, 
The people in that, in that group, they were trying to explain it with natural ex explanation. Finally, they just said, uh, I don't know, I, I guess they're just drunk. I, I guess they just had too much wine. You know, again, these are Galileans. They party hard. And now, that must be the answer. But the point is, at that moment, God initiated, at that moment, he initiated something that would be available for all believers from then on. And that is that you do not have to live life on your own abilities and your own strength. And you also incorporating your own weaknesses. Is that now you could have a supernatural power that would be able to take what would be your inabilities and make it abilities because he has given us that Holy Spirit. So here, what's the sequence here? And, and I think it's important that we understand that there is a sequence. Is that they heard the teaching of Christ, they came and they were filled with the Spirit. That same sequence is vital for us to understand now. And that is that we do not bypass it. I, I had an experience one time whenever I was in the hospital room with a family that was going through some very uh, well, it was just life and death. Literally, there was a family member who was very, very sick. And I began the conversation with, with the, uh, the grandfather. And, and suddenly, it, it became quite unusual because he, he said to me, I don't follow Jesus. I follow the Holy Spirit. And I went, bam, where, where did that come from, you know? And he had this, this thinking that, that Jesus, that God was the Old Testament, Jesus was the time of the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit is now. And, and I said, hang on just a second. I, I just want to help you rebalance in that. And I just want to rebalance with you this morning that the sequence is that we have a vibrant relational uh, connection with God through Jesus Christ and his cross of his suffering, death, and resurrection. And that we believe and we connect with the understanding that he shall return. And that we have embraced that allegiance unto him. That we don't have it as just some sort of Sunday morning acknowledgement. Yeah, I drive on the right side of the road and yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, all that kind of stuff. But you have a vibrant relationship with him. And in that, in that point, then the believers were filled with the Spirit. And also you can be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that sequence is important that we understand. Because why? Because all of the ministries that happen in the book of Acts are ministries God's still wanting to have happen in the church today. He did not just say, okay. It's kind of like uh, I, was, I was dealing with someone, uh, helping dealing with someone dealing with their wedding. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? I'm sorry. It's almost like, yeah, you got to do, you know, but I was helping them. I was assisting them in the way, and they were going to a tasting, a tasting. I didn't even know what that was, you know. I said, is that, is that what you do at McDonald's? I don't know, you know, and, but went to a tasting. God did not mean for the book of Acts and for Pentecost to be some sort of tasting and then he pulled it back and said, okay, until I return, I just wanted you to know what glory will be like. I just wanted you to know what the power of God looks like. But then until I return, I'm pulling it back. 
No, he's intending for that to be the part of our lives so that we could have not life on our own terms, but we could have life on his abilities and terms, which is supernatural. I think we need to understand that God is wanting us to live in that dynamic and not just experience that dynamic. The, the, the thing that we've got to understand is that there are some reasons why we're not experiencing the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in ours. And, and, and I know there's, there's probably many, and I don't even want to be, be attempt to name them. I just want to give you two to consider. That's all, two to consider. And why we are not seeing the fullness of the Spirit. One is, I believe that we in the Western church, that we have a tendency to want to shut up the Holy Spirit into a closet or to regulate Him into a place where we can make sure that things don't get different, that they don't get unusual. And we want, we, you listen, we are accustomed. You know the way that our brains work, and that is that we like things not to change. We like things to be predictable. That's the reason why that in our, in our brains, in our memory, is that we have those synapses that kind of connect until finally we don't have to think about it. We just do it. And there's hundreds of things that happen right now in your body. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. You're breathing. You don't have to think, I'm breathing. But it's like also that we we like that predictability where I don't know if you can share with me an experience that I've had where, where I kind of started going somewhere and my mind got distracted and I ended up headed to work. And I'm going, I wasn't even planning on going there, you know? And why? Because you like that predictableness. And I think sometimes we have the same situation is that we... We want God to be predictable. We want our walk with God to be predictable. We want our expectations. All right, God, if I do this, then you will do this, and you will do this. If I don't do this, then you will do this. And God says, the walk with him, the walk of faith is an adventure. And it's intended to be an adventure. It's not intended to be boredom and routine. It's to be a walk of faith. And so he says, instead of us wanting to keep the Holy Spirit kind of in that closet, he's wanting us to open our hearts to him. I, I love what it says in Revelation where he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. That's just not to those who are not in relationship with him. That's to us. It's because God will never intrude and do this thing of, of just a, you know, kind of invasion into your space and where you're going, whoa, hang on is that he will ask permission. He will knock. As many times, whenever it comes to these areas, we say to God, not with a malice intent, but just with the fact that we're human, we'll say, hang on, hang on. I want predictableness. The second idea that I have is found in Paul's writing whenever he went to the Ephesians, and he came upon a group of, of believers in Acts chapter 19, and he asked him this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they looked at him, and in honesty, they said, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I believe the reason why we're not seeing the dynamic of the power of the Holy Spirit, and not just Sunday, but please do not regulate this to Sunday. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday, 
where you see that impact of the Holy Spirit in your life throughout what you do, is that I believe the reason why is that people are, are true, sincere, desirous of the things of God believers, have either been taught that the Holy Spirit is something that they should not pursue, or they're just ignorant of the reality and the dynamic that it can be a part of their life. So what happens is that they are just without they're trying their best to navigate through spiritual things in their own intellect, in their own, how much have they figured out so far? God is wanting to say to them, hang on just a second, there is more that's available to you, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So, but those, of, those who have been taught against the, the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the one thing that I want to say to you is that God would never, the Father would never allow anything that is unworthy or unholy to accidentally happen. Speaking in, in tongues in a, a prayer language it just did not crowd in on its own as though it was some arbitrary Johnny-come-lately sign that was thrust upon the church whenever the church was being born on the day of Pentecost. Neither was uh, speaking in tongues or a prayer language some sort of surprise to the Father where he goes, I didn't see that coming. What we need to understand is that God created and God gave the prayer language for holy and wholesome purposes and we need to understand he created it. He completely endorses it. And he also wants us to embrace it. We need to understand that prayer language, Jesus prophesied it. The Father intended it. The Holy Spirit enabled it. And the church received it. But let me, let me just say a couple more things. And I'm quickly coming to an end. I really am. And, the, you know, you're going promises, promises. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But the... The, the one thing that I don't want you to think is that the day of Pentecost was a unique, it was a unique time. Just like the birth of Jesus was unique. There was what? The heavenly host, a choir was singing. There was a star in the east where, where wise men came from afar and gathered. There was all of this stuff, this supernatural, and, and we're not attempting trying to, to replicate that in our churches. We're, we're not asking for that. We, we understand sometimes we do it in pageantries and we dress our kids up in bathrobes and, and you know, towels on our heads and we march them around and all that good stuff. But we don't try. Why? Because it was unique. What we don't need to do is also try to replicate Pentecost in our church either because it was unique. There was a wind. There was the, the symbol of fire. There was these things of which that, that we're, we, we're not. And many times, many times I've been a part of church services where, where good-hearted people were saying, we need the, the, these, these elements all to happen in, in our services. That's not what God is asking us to do. He is asking us to have the life of the Spirit in our hearts. He's asking us to have the rebirth of salvation in our hearts. But he's not asking us or demanding of us that we have services that we we try to raise up the raise up the the the, the dynamic nature of it, or or it becomes far more boisterous. It doesn't have to be that way. What has to be is that we need to understand that Jesus fulfilled His promise to His believers. 
whenever Pentecost and the fullness of the Holy Spirit came. And from that day, from that day, every believer is now a candidate to be baptized if your heart is open to that, if you're desirous of that. So what's my last point? My last point is how, how do we catch the wind of the Holy Spirit? You know, I, I, I know that we understand the whole, the whole concept of wind. And that is, we, we do not know where it starts and we do not know where it goes. And we understand that. We also understand that if we take some sort of large mouth bottle and we hold it up to the wind and we quickly cork it, it goes from being wind to just air. And, and I understand that air is good, it's life providing, but air will never, never push a sailboat across a lake. Air will never move the, the wind wheel. It will never make it possible for an eagle to soar to new heights. It takes wind to do that. And I know that there are, there are those, and probably if I, if I inventoried all of you, uh, that we would have a hundred different theological sermons or ideas about the Holy Spirit, about all these different things. And I just want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not to be contained and put into a box of someone's systematic theology or someone's, you know, I got the right answer type book or sermon series or whatever. It goes where it wants. But I will say this. We cannot control the wind, but we can be filled with the wind. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to not try to navigate life on your own terms, but to allow himself, the person, the person, the Holy Spirit, to indwell you and to empower you and to allow the evidence, just like we don't know where, we don't see wind, but we see the evidence of it that there would be evidence in your life through the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that you would be able to navigate through these waters that are very, very difficult in the times that we live. And what is he saying? Is that he's saying that it's available for us. It's not something for the spiritual elite. It's not just for a group of individuals who want to be in that 2% group, you know, that upper 2% who are really, really spiritual and they know how to talk spiritual and they know how to walk spiritual and they know how to quack spiritual and all those other things. He's saying, I want it to be available for all. That's the reason why they all were filled on the day of Pentecost in that room. There wasn't just 2%, it was all. So you say, well, Mark, tell me, what, what is it? I'm just simply asking, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you actively saying, okay, Lord, I hear you knocking on my door. I'm open to that. Or are you still saying, hang on, Hold, slow the bus down here. <laughs> slow it down. I hear what you're saying, but I kind of like the buffet style of Christianity. The buffet style of Christianity is this, is that I walk along the line, 
And I say, oh, I want him to help me with this, but oh, I'm not going to do the sacrifice part. I'll move on past that. And it's kind of like beets on the buffet. Nobody eats beets on the buffet, you know. It's, so you pass by that, and then you kind of come over here and go, oh, I'll take the healing. I will take the I will take that my kids will do what I say. I will take that. You, you see what? And But whenever we come to the Holy Spirit, we kind of look at it and we go, whew. I'll just keep going. Are you saying, Lord, I understand that you've made a way for me to be able to handle life, not on my own terms, but in a way that I never thought possible through supernatural power. And that's what we're talking about. The power of the Holy Spirit that made the disciples effective, not only in their service, not only in their life calling, but in their lives, is the same Holy Spirit that's available for all of us that are here in this room.